A lot of people think it's really hard to get to the million dollar mark. It's not. When investing, attorneys should take special consideration. Succession planning begins from day one. Start thinking early on about how you want to position your brand as something that someone else will be able to purchase. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, where we give you the tools you need to take your personal injury practice to the next level. Before we begin, here's a disclaimer so none of you sue my butt off. Please know that this conversation is not intended to be recommendations for specific investment behavior and is intended for informational and educational purposes only. This is not a research report or investment advice not to be relied upon for a basis of investment decisions. Investors are advised that past investment performance is not guaranteed for future price performance. Before making any investment, you should carefully seek independent legal tax and regulatory advice. All right, let's start the show. Succession planning and proper investing can put you on the path to financial independence well before you're ready to retire. With the help of a financial planner who understands the unique financial circumstances of attorneys, you can pursue your passions and walk away from your firm when you're ready. Today, we talk with financial advisor Darren Wurz, author of The Lawyer Millionaire and host of The Lawyer Millionaire podcast. He offers insights on how to set up your firm for succession early on. The right way to think about debt how to incorporate real estate investing, and minimizing liability. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of Rankings.io. We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. Here's Darren Wurz, financial advisor at Wurz Financial Services. You know, I started my career as a teacher, actually, and uh, that was my first passion. Uh, I've always enjoyed helping people, I think, and I think some of that carries over into being a financial advisor. So uh, I taught eighth and ninth grade science for five years, but there was no way I could continue doing that until retirement. <laughs> I have a lot of respect for teachers. It's, it's tough work. Uh, my dad has uh, always been a financial advisor. Every time I would talk to him, he was like, you know, a lot of teachers have made great financial advisors. You should come into this business. And, you know, finally, I started to listen, pay attention and investigate it a little bit more. I went back to school, got my master's degree in financial planning and uh, decided to go ahead and make that transition. So that's really where it came from, the inspiration from my dad. And uh, even before him, my grandfather was a financial advisor, too. So kind of runs in the family blood, I guess. You've been investing since you've been a kid. Oh, yeah. Can you speak to some of those lessons maybe that you spoke to your dad about early on? Oh, yeah, definitely. You know, I actually started investing in mutual funds in middle school. So that was fun. Uh, and that was thanks to my dad. You know, he introduced me to the whole idea, bought some mutual funds, got to see them grow and experience what that was like. And I kind of got to see the bear market of the early 2000s. I got to see the great financial crisis, you know, and I got to experience those ups and downs and kind of see that, you know, you got to be in it for the long term. You got to take the emotion out of it, you know, be willing to go through those things and not act impulsively. So that was all really good training ground for me. Um, the other thing, you know, one of my dad's lessons that he's always taught me is always uh, don't bet against the government. <laughs> it sounds strange, but 
You know, the government it will intervene when things look really terrible. And, and oftentimes those are the best times to invest because then that's when those turnaround times come. You know, you look at the pandemic, you know, things were falling off the page in February, March 2020. And uh, then the government stepped in in a really big, huge way. And we had an amazing turnaround in the stock market. So that's the kind of stuff that can happen. The one thing I've noticed is like the bonds right now, the short term bonds have these incredibly high interest rates and they have a better interest rates than the long term bonds. So it's like, you know, are they basically saying the outlook for the future doesn't look as good? And that's why the short term bonds are, are like propped up right now. You know, yeah. since you mentioned the government and, you know, trust the government, you know, what's your thoughts in general on that? Well, you know, that's kind of a very classic recessionary indicator when, when that happens. Um, and typically, you know, what that means, yeah, you're right, is that uh, investors are kind of anticipating that things are going to deteriorate. Um, and, you know, that's because of what's going on right now with inflation and the Federal Reserve increasing rates. Now, every, every time this happens, they say it's different this time. So, and usually it's not. <laughs> So, you know, this is something we need to pay attention to. Now, recessions come in all shapes and sizes. We don't know what the, the scope may be. It's very likely that one will be happening or maybe even is happening right now. But these are definitely things uh, that we need to pay attention to. And while you mentioned bonds, you know, for a long time, bonds were a very easy uh, money-making instrument. You could depend on them reliably. Um, you know, because interest rates have been falling since the 1980s on a long-term basis. And now suddenly we have this environment where rates are rising. And I think a lot of people are feeling so much more pain right now because they're losing money on their bonds. Uh, You know, when the rates go up or when yields rise, the value of bonds falls. So that's a very interesting dynamic where we have right now stocks are falling in value and bonds are falling in value, even though, yes, now they are yielding more. And that is kind of a nice thing. Most of the audience listening are in the legal space. And, you know, walk me through how did you come to specialize in working with attorneys? You know, it it wasn't planned out this way. You know, I kind of started my business. And as I was reading and doing a lot of my own research, you know, everything I was reading about, you know, was telling me that it's important to specialize. My initial niche was kind of, you know, people close to retirement, who might really need and benefit from my services, you know, really trying to plan for that transition into retirement. And I was going to all the networking events and luncheons and this and that and the other. And I met a lot of attorneys and many of them became clients. You know, my business started to grow and uh, I was looking through my client list. I saw that I had a lot of attorneys and I got to know them very well. And as I surveyed the landscape, I didn't see hardly any financial advisors that specialized in serving attorneys specifically. Uh, I see a lot of advisors that focus on business owners, retirees, uh, maybe even doctors, you know, but uh, not very many in, uh, you know, focusing on the legal profession. And so I kind of saw it as, you know, maybe sort of a wide open uh, opportunity and uh, decided to go for it. So I started doing a lot of continuing ed programs through the local bar association. And then uh, we started doing that online and those were very successful and uh, it just, it worked. Yeah. I love that. And I also love that you had these experiences and you, you went a little broad and then found that you had, you know, a segment here and pursued it, you know, further. A lot of times people ask me like, hey, when should I niche or should I niche? I'm like, well, have these experiences and 
determine, you know, where there's opportunity, what you have a passion for, where there's purpose. How should attorneys think about investing? They're a particular different industry because of the succession planning issues. For example, like me in the agency space or SaaS, we could sell our business, right? But the succession planning for attorneys is a little bit more challenging. Yes. A lot of times it's tied to their name. So what would you say, let's just do a couple different avatars here. Let's just say you got a new uh, a new solo practitioner. He just opened his firm. What should he be considering, he or she, when investing for their future? Super broad. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot to unpack here. <laughs> Succession planning begins from day one. Start thinking early on about how you want to position your brand as something that someone else will be able to purchase. You know, if I'm going to name my business Darren Wirtz, attorney at law, it's going to be very hard to sell that to somebody else. <laughs> Whereas if I name it something maybe a little bit more generic or something, you know, not every jurisdiction allows trade names, but some do. If you can use a trade name, yeah, go for it, you know, because that's going to be something that's more sellable. You want to tie the clients to the identity of the firm more so than yourself. And that will make that transition a lot easier. So start thinking early on about how you can position yourself, position your brand in such a way that it will be easier to sell later on. I mean, you can always rebrand, but that's a challenge. You know, that's difficult and that's a lot of work to go through. So if you can start off from day one on the right footing and think about one day, this is something I want to sell. I think that's the way to go there. Yeah, this is big, you know. You've got to invest from day one. <laughs> I get it. You're starting a business. It's tough. There's startup costs. And maybe you have student loans. Maybe you have lots of things going on. But you've got to pay yourself and you've got to invest. Even if it's just a little bit, you've got to put some money into your investments because you're going to be missing out on opportunities that you will never get again. The biggest thing that you have when it comes to your investments, the most valuable asset you have is time. It's time in the market. And that really can't be made up for. The compounding, you know, that is a very powerful tool. And time is what makes it work. So you got to get that money working for you as early as possible. You may not be able to invest a lot, but it's important to try and get that going, you know, even early on in a small way. And you've got these very polarizing figures in the investment space. You've got your Dave Ramsey, and then you've got uh, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, your Robert Kiyosaki. Then you got Warren Buffett over there that everybody's watching, right? And and Dave Ramsey's saying, you know, no debt, no debt, no debt. Yes. So on his side of the camp, he would probably choose to pay off the student loan, pay off your car, pay off your house before investing. And then you got Kiyosaki, who's like, you know, go nuts on the debt. You don't pay taxes <laughs> on debt. You know, get into real estate. Yeah. And then you got big Warren Buffett. He's like, you don't need a financial planner. Just invest in a VOO S&P index fund. Right. So where where do you stand? Where <laughs> Who do you trust? Because, you know, Dave Ramsey's the number one podcast on Apple. Yeah. You know, there's these very polarizing figures. So where do you stand? Well, I think that uh, the concept of, you know, getting rid of debt is very appealing because debt is emotional. If you can separate the emotion from it, having debt is not a terrible thing. It's not killing you. You know, it, it feels like it's killing you. You know, it feels like a burden. Um, so I understand that. 
but there's debt that's good, you know. Now this may be changing, you know, because we've been in a very low interest rate environment. And if you have a three or 4% interest rate on your mortgage, don't you dare pay it off early. Right. <laughs> don't you dare, you know. You may never see that three or 4% interest rate ever again, or it's gonna be at least a very, very long time. And if inflation is running at 8%, you're basically making money on that mortgage. I mean, if you think about it, you're, you're paying less in interest than the rate of inflation. So in a weird way, you're kind of making money on that. For me, a lot of it comes down to the interest rate. You know, what's the rate that I can earn on my investments versus what's the rate that I'm paying in interest on my debt? If your debt has an interest rate below 7%, I wouldn't be in a hurry because you can earn more than that in the long term in the market. Um, the S&P's you know, long-term rate of return is going to be somewhere between 8 and 10% um, historically. Now, of course, we don't know. You know there could be uh, an asteroid that hits Earth or you know, something. You know, th 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 it could change. But you know, going back 200 years you know, through World War I and World War II and uh, the Cold War and the Great Depression and everything else, you know, long-term you've averaged 8 to 10%. So that's a very interesting um, thing to look at. You know, the world has been through some crazy things and we've still been able to make money, you know, and, and the world has continued on. So you got to have some faith in the investment world. I would say it's somewhere in between those two extremes. You know, look at the interest rate and think positively about debt. You know, debt is a tool, you know, it is a form of leverage. And wealthy people think about debt as leverage. So if you think about it in that way, it's a way to catapult you into a more wealthy space in a way that you couldn't. Think about law school. If you had to put away all the money, you had to accumulate all the money you needed for law school before you could go to law school, it would never happen. Instead, you took out debt, most likely, to pay for law school, to launch yourself forward, to accelerate your career pathway. And so debt is a, a form, a way of accelerating our wealth building and getting us to the next level a little bit faster. Succession planning can look different to every firm owner. Darren explains how to think about the future when the goal is not a date for retirement, but for financial independence. We usually start by creating a long-term financial plan for their own retirement. And, and oftentimes with attorneys, it may not be about a specific retirement date. So this is, this is interesting because now it, it's, it's both ways. You know, I meet some attorneys, they want to retire at a certain age. They, it's like, okay, at this age, I'm done. <laughs> Others, they love what they do. They don't really see themselves necessarily retiring completely in the traditional sense. So we think about it more in terms of, okay, when would you like to be at a place where you could walk away and be just fine? You know, we call that financial independence. When do you want to be financially independent so that you can practice if you want, retire if you want, do what you want? What I find is that the succession planning and the retirement planning go hand in hand. You, it's, it's almost impossible to separate the two. They're very, very closely tied together. So if you own your own practice, we're talking about the retirement planning, we're talking about the succession planning, you know, and then we're factoring that in, you know, what do we think you could maybe sell your law firm for? How do we factor that into the equation? Let's be honest, you're more than likely not going to retire on the, the sale value of your firm alone, you're going to need some additional assets. 
Uh, law firms don't sell, they don't command a premium, you know, because there's a lot of risks involved. Your audience of potential buyers is pretty limited. It's just a more difficult type of business to sell. And for that reason, it doesn't really command a very high premium. But that's okay. You know, if you could get a couple hundred grand for your law firm, I don't know anybody who's against that. <laughs> you know, extra money in your pocket? Yes, please. So we factor that in from day one. It's difficult to do, you know, the, the further you are out, but we try to think about what, you know, what is it worth today potentially? And then what might it be worth down the road in the future? And we can kind of create a range of what it might be sellable for. And then it's putting things into place that are going to help us optimize getting you to that point where you are financially independent. So what's the most optimal decision we can make around every single financial decision? Social security, your investments, whether you're using a Roth 401k or a traditional 401k, what kind of retirement plan do we need to set up that's going to get you where you need to go? Um, and just thinking about all of those different decisions that need to be made and trying to put them all together in the most optimal way. And then, of course, it, we work with our clients on an ongoing basis, kind of as a personal CFO. So we check in at least annually, usually a little bit more frequently to update the plan, see how things are going. Are there any new tax things that we can take advantage of? Um, any new changes that need to be made, what's happening with tax laws, how can we optimize this a little bit more, how are we doing on our progress, are we making enough progress towards our goals, are we able to set aside a little bit more money, and then of course all along that time we're managing the investments for our clients too. So you mentioned Warren Buffett, you know the S&P 500, yeah, you know that's a great way to go, just plop it in there and let it ride. <laughs> We try to add some nuance to it. You can do it on your own just fine. The way we do it is we're active asset managers. So on an ongoing basis, we're constantly looking for opportunities. What are some really hot spaces that we can get into? Like, for instance, this year, uh, we have been big owners of energy. We've had energy in our clients' portfolios, natural resources, and those have really actually been profitable this year. You know, the stock market is down but the energy sector, if you've invested in it, has actually kicked butt. <laughs> so we're doing things like that. We're looking for where are some unique uh, opportunities that we can take advantage of. And then, of course, risk management. Now, that may not be so important in the beginning, but as you get closer to retirement, it becomes more and more important. If you're thinking about retiring and 2008 happens just before you retire, or even what's happening now, I mean, I... I'm having conversations with people about this right now. Their portfolio is down 20 or 30% and they're like, oh, okay, well, we might need to wait to retire, you know? So do you really want to do that? You know, and, and the other thing is having a big drop in the markets right after you retire, that changes the whole picture dramatically. It's those first few years after retirement where it becomes so critical, especially if you're pulling money out of your investments. And in the investment world, we call that sequence of returns risk. It's a very real thing. It changes the trajectory of things uh, very dramatically. So it, the risk management becomes extremely important. And um, we have some tools that we use 
to try to limit the drawdown capacity, you know, try to limit the amount that uh, our portfolios can go down and try to protect people from those major drawdowns. And the fascinating thing is if you can miss some of the really big, nasty downturns, you actually can generate much higher returns. You don't really have to do anything much fancier than that. <laughs> I mean, imagine if you missed 08. Would those be puts? Is that the, the term for those? Well, you can. You can use puts to kind of manage risk that way. Uh, for, for us, we keep it real simple. There are geared funds, they call them geared funds, that can give you an inverse of an index. So one we use gives us an inverse of the S&P 500, so it actually does the opposite of the S&P 500. We've used a fund that does that this year, and we've been able to generate uh, 30% plus returns using that fund, just profiting from the market going down. You know, So you, we can use some strategic things like that uh, to help us insulate. It's not always about bonds. Sometimes it's about cash, too. You know. Usually during a downturn, bonds give you help, <laughs> and this is not happening this year, uh, at least not yet. So cash has actually been king in many ways for most of this year. Where does real estate fit in? You know, for example, a lot of the attorneys are looking to, you know, decrease their tax liability. Maybe they got a big settlement or maybe they need to set up some different methods of um, collateral for you know, uh, drawing against not that you, you know, you could do those T bills or, you know, permanent life insurance and a variety of tactics to do that, but they need to take a draw because of cash flow, mm -hmm. you know, where they're not going to get a case settled for maybe three years. So I guess two questions is, you know, how do you approach tax liability? And then also what mechanisms could you set up to maybe potentially help them from a borrowing perspective when when cash flow is slow. I mean, is that something that you advise on? Yeah. Okay. So a lot of good stuff here. Um, it's fascinating. Real estate investing is very popular among attorneys everywhere I go. <laughs> uh, that and pickleball. I don't know what it is about pickleball, but it's everywhere. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, you know, real estate can be, can be a great way to maybe get some more tax deductions. Um, and it can be a nice alternative diversifying income stream. Great idea, you know, uh, having setting up some additional streams of income, is e especially if you have, uh, like you're in a personal injury space and you have extremely volatile income. <laughs> uh, creating some regularity. So it's all about that, you know. If your income is up and down, you very easily can find yourself in this credit card cycle and it, it's damaging. You know, it's very difficult to get out of because you're just building up that credit card debt. So having some additional streams of income is a great idea. And you can also generate some tax deductions, uh, which is really, really nice. One of the most basic ways that we start with clients is let's just set up a brokerage account. You know, let's not worry about if it's a retirement account or if it's a Roth or it's an IRA. Let's just set something up where you can start accumulating some money that you can use for whatever you need. <laughs> That's critical. You need to have that buffer. And we don't necessarily want to leave it in, you know, just in the bank. We want to invest it in, you know, conservatively, but we want to generate some returns on it. So we'll start there, you know, and then if we want to get more sophisticated, you know, later on, we can deal with that around tax time. So that's a lot of times the place I want to start with people, you know, just building up some assets. And the nice thing about a, 
standard brokerage account. There's no minimums or maximums or, you know, uh, penalties, you know, that you have to worry about. Yeah, maybe you have some taxes you have to pay on dividends or capital gains, but those are going to be pretty minimal. And we can even invest now in some things that might generate some extra income, you know, maybe some corporate bonds, and then you can just take the dividends as an alternate in- income stream, or maybe other types of assets like, uh, you know, MLPs or things like that. So there's some opportunities there that we can explore. Yeah. And I, I love that, that advice about the brokerage account because of the liquidity it provides. Yes. The 401k is personally, and this is just from my personal perspective, it just locks up your money. I understand the tax advantages, but you know, for me, especially I'm a DI, so it's harder to see that, you know, 20 years ahead in the future Yeah, and to be patient enough for that. So, you know, the brokerage account really appeals and, you know, that's where, you know, those big capital gains hit, you know, you, you take those hits when you draw those dividends or cash out, but yeah. I don't know. I just like access to the money a little bit better. Absolutely. And you can do some interesting things to, to keep that down, you know, especially right now. So, We've had a year where the market's down, end of the year's coming up, start thinking about some tax loss harvesting. Just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah, that's where the attorneys listening would want to follow up and ask about. I want to talk about your book. We, we've talked about it briefly. Yeah. You know, you wrote The the Lawyer Millionaire. Uh, congratulations. That's, Thank that's you. a massive undertaking. What made you decide to write it? And, and tell us a little bit about the book. Yeah, so the book is The Lawyer Millionaire, The Complete Guide for Attorneys on Maximizing Wealth, Minimizing Taxes, and Retiring with Confidence. I wrote the book because I was looking for resources that would help me be a better advisor to my attorney clients, and I didn't find anything. (laughs) I didn't see any books. There were a couple books out there written for attorneys specifically on financial planning and wealth building, but... It was very generic kind of stuff. There wasn't anything real specific or it was really retirement focused, you know, and like a whole huge section on Medicare. I'm like, eh, you know, that's not really what my clients are looking for. And so I, you know, that's, that's it. There was nothing out there. There were no resources I found out there written specifically to attorneys on this topic. And I, I always wanted to write a book. You know, I think that's a great business building tool. And uh, so I, I sat down. This was during the pandemic when there wasn't much to do. And uh, I started writing. And really, I just kind of started at the beginning. And I'm like, OK, I'm just going to put all of my knowledge, you know, down on paper. And, you know, if, if you want to DIY your financial planning, this is a fantastic resource for you. If you want, you know, a lot of attorneys are that way. And that's great. You know, they're, they're widely read. They read a lot of materials, smart people, so they know how to figure things out. And you can do a lot of it on your own. And then there's others that are like, I don't even want to think about this. <laughs> you know, you handle this for me. And uh, those are some of the folks that I work with. So yeah, you know, there wasn't anything out there like it. And I saw it as kind of a wide open space. Um, I approached the American Bar Association about publishing it. And when the manuscript was done, I came back to him and I said, hey, you know, it's done and it's ready to go. And uh, they were all about it. So there we go. <laughs> the only investing books that I can think of are just, just super generic in terms of, you know, you got uh, the old school books like Richest Man in Babylon and... <laughs> You know, certainly nothing specific for lawyers. Yeah. You've got this section on that I really liked on the time value of money. And you spoke briefly about it earlier in our conversation. But can you explain a little bit more about what this is? 
So it's the idea that you earn money on your money you're earning. You know, okay, so let's let's you know use an example. Let's say you invest ten thousand dollars and you earn a ten percent rate of return. So you earn a thousand dollars. Okay. The next year, let's say you have another ten percent return, but instead of earning a thousand dollars, you're going to earn money on the ten thousand plus the one thousand that you earned. Yeah, eleven hundred. So instead of a thousand, you're going to earn eleven hundred. And then that just keeps accumulating over time. It's amazing. A lot of people think it's really hard to get to the million dollar mark. It's not. If you start early enough, and I, I give some examples in the book of you know certain time frames and how much you would need to invest on a monthly basis. Uh, if you're putting $1,000 a month away, you can get to the million dollar mark over a, a span of a certain amount of time. You know, that's the fascinating thing. It's just the accumulation of those earnings on top of earnings, what we call compound growth. And uh, that's the time value of money. It, it has a value. It's a very just powerful, insanely powerful tool that you can use and harness. Another thing that you talk about is, you know, minimizing liability risk. And in previous conversations on this podcast, we've had overfunded life insurance. We've talked about that. You know, what should every attorney and firm owner be doing to in terms of minimizing liability risk in terms of their financial future? And I guess every situation is a bit different, but definitely you want to make sure that you've got uh, liability protection professionally, you know, and and that's important. Um, I, I talk a little bit about that and about, you know, property insurance, make sure that your your liability amounts are where they should be, especially as you're accumulating money. You know, your wealth is getting bigger and bigger and you do want to protect it, you know, and you may even want to think about an umbrella policy that can uh, just provide an additional layer of liability protection for yourself. Um, but on the other hand, you know, we don't want to go too crazy with insurance because you can insure everything and uh, it'll cost you an arm and a leg. <laughs> so I think that there is a balance um, when it comes to life insurance. Uh, there are some uses for cash value, but I'm really not generally a fan of cash value life insurance unless it specifically provides a benefit to you in your own circumstances. Just because it's so expensive, and I, I am just such a fan of investing, <laughs> you know, uh, so I'm leery of detracting money from our investments. You know, there are so many things that compete for your money. Everything's competing for your money. Um, and there's only one place you can put money that is is for you, and that's your investments. You know, you're 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 investing in yourself that way. So it, it's a, it's a little bit of a balance. You know, we we have to insure against risk appropriately and effectively. You know, I think disability insurance is important uh, for attorneys, but if you get the platinum most uh, valuable insurance policy on everything that you own and everything that happens. It's very expensive. At the end of the day, it, it comes down to your risk tolerance. You know, how much risk are you willing to endure? Can you self-insure some of these risks? Um, if you insure against every single risk, it just becomes a, ver a very costly thing. For those listening that that want to take control of their financial future and get in touch and speak to you to see if it's you're the right fit, you know, how can people get in touch with you? Yeah, the easiest way to get in touch with me is just head on over to thelawyermillionaire.com. 
Uh, that'll take you to our website. You can learn more about the book. You can learn more about the podcast too, The Lawyer Millionaire. And uh, you can even book an appointment with me right on that page. So if you scroll down to the bottom of the page, there's a link to my calendar and uh, you can set up a meeting right there. And yeah, I'd love to talk with you. With the right support, it is possible to reach your financial goals. I'd like to thank Darren Wurz from Wurz Financial Services for sharing his story with us. And I hope you gain some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We'd love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing. Just a reminder, this conversation is not intended to be recommendations for specific investment behavior, and it's intended for informational and educational purposes only. This is not research report or investment advice and not to be relied upon for the basis of investment decisions. Investors are advised that past investment performance is not guaranteed for future price performance. Before making any investment, you should carefully seek independent legal tax and regulatory advice. And I'm out. I'm out.